I want to introduce her tonight. Um, you know her as Pastorina. I know her as Pastorina, but I'm going to call her um, a soon-going-to-be-New-York-Times-best-selling author, yeah. Pastorina Perosich. And I'll be the first to have said it. Thank you, Samantha. Glory to God. Well, you know, usually I love to preach from the prophetic office, from the standpoint of the prophet. And um, tonight, I'm actually standing in a teacher office. And we're going to begin in the book of Acts. So if you're at home, go get your Bibles, and we're going to look at the book of Acts. And, um, of course, tonight, we're starting a new month. And so the new month is awakening because our theme for that entire year has been awakening. This is the 2021 year of awakening, but awakening to God's power. Now, when I started studying, I thought, well, I don't have to worry about not having a prophetic message. This is a prophetic message. I mean, we need to awaken to the power of God right now. And the book of Acts is a prophetic book because we're still writing it. And so um, it's um, wonderful to stand before you and at home, uh, quiet down the kids, get yourself a, a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, and spend this next 40 minutes with me. I'm going to be talking about just Acts, just chapter 1, verses 1 through 26. So it'll be easy to remember. And I'm going to call tonight's sermon Transformation. Transformation. Because if you think about it, in the book of Acts, those disciples weren't really sold out. They were still doubting. They were still not believing that Jesus was who he was. They still didn't really believe that they could do what Jesus said they could do. Anybody here feel like some of those disciples sometimes where we don't really feel like we can do what God's called us to do? Well, welcome to the crowd. And I want to give you some historical background. We don't usually do that on a Sunday morning, but I think it's important for this Wednesday night crowd because you guys are the hungry ones. You are the ones that really want to know your Bible, and we're going to really take a look at it tonight. So I'm going to give you 12 reasons why the book of Acts is extremely important. I think sometimes we just kind of look over it, but here are 12 reasons that it's very important. Number one, Acts is really, truthfully, volume two of the book of Luke. When you think about it, it makes up over one-fourth of the entire New Testament. Now, I don't know about you, but we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John over and over and over again. I think we kind of skip Acts. But here, we're learning that Luke is the same author of the book of Acts as he was, and it's still written to Theophilus, which is interesting. So it's kind of like volume two, and remember, the scrolls, you know, it wasn't like, um, you know, you, you can only put so much on a scroll. Let's put it that way. Just like you can only put so much on a zip drive or a cassette or a CD. Well, you can only put so much on a scroll. So it's interesting that it makes up one-fourth of the New Testament. All right? The second important fact is that the book of Acts provides us with a vivid account of a radical change that took place in the attitudes and the actions of the disciples. Now, if there's anything that I'd like to see more in the body of Christ right now is the attitudes and the actions of the disciples changing. They went from doubters to believers. They went from discouraged to bold. They went from um, worrying about what about me and what do I think and Jesus, what are you doing with this kingdom? And to God, we understand what you're wanting now. And their vision went from themselves to the world. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I think our vision is just like on me, myself, and I, and our little church. And, you know, I'm fortunate that I can go to other countries and 
you know, just the other day, I, they said, if you have a pair of shoes, you're blessed. Because most people use water bottles or rags to cover their feet. If you have a mattress, you're blessed. And, you know, when Samantha and Joshua went with us to Ghana, we were able to bless our driver, Abubi, with his bed. First bed he ever had. First uh, pillow he ever had. And he slept with the plastic on. And I was like, Abubi, and I hope you're watching tonight, Abubi. Abubi was like, you know, uh, I didn't want to take it off, you know. And we were like, no, you can take it off. It's okay. So we took the plastic off and we put sheets on for him. And it was just so wonderful to be able to see a person have that for the first time, right? I mean, I take my pillow with me all over the world, you know, so I can understand like having a pillow. All right. And so the attitudes and actions of the disciples changed. They were passive and truthfully almost invisible before the Lord's death. Peter, who would deny the Lord in the courtyard of the high priest, Peter, who would hide behind locked doors at Jesus' death. Peter, who would go fishing after Jesus' resurrection, is a very different man in the book of Acts. He starts boldly proclaiming Jesus to be the Christ and announces to the audience that they were guilty of Jesus' death and they were facing divine judgment. Do you realize what a radical change that was? The transformation of the Lord's disciples really comes out in the book of Acts. If you've never seen people transform or you've ever doubted that your loved ones could be transformed, read the book of Acts. It will, it will, it will radically change your mind. Anybody can change. Amen? The transformation of the Lord's disciples. The third reason that the book of Acts is so important is because it fills in the gap between the apostles gospels I should say between the gospels and the epistles the gospels end in Jerusalem with no church Matthew Mark Luke and John ends no church a few Jewish believers maybe a group of disciples who are still living in the past but the epistles on the other hand start showing us a growing church so much so that the Gentile believers and a group of disciples are boldly proclaiming Jesus to be the Messiah and the Savior of the world We wouldn't understand the epistles apart from the book of Acts. Number four, Acts provides us with an inspired account of the transition of the gospel. This is very important. Largely from the Jewish context to being universal. It was just the Jews. They thought it was just about them. And now it becomes universal. Not only embracing the Gentiles, which are the lost, but now it becomes a Gentile phenomenon. The Gentiles outnumber the Jews. When we begin in Jerusalem, there's a handful of Jewish believers that believed in Jesus. And the book of Acts ends in Rome with a number of Gentile churches already being founded. And predominantly new believers coming in. The book of Acts describes the transition not just geographically from Jerusalem to Rome. But theologically from Israel to the church at large. And then racially from Jews to Gentiles. It covers it all. This is amazing. Excuse me, the fifth reason the book of Acts is so important is because it starts talking about opposition. And we don't see opposition too much in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But now all of a sudden, Jesus is the resurrection. He's talking about the kingdom. He's talking about salvation. He's rattling everybody's cages. And now opposition starts. And so now... Not only are they in opposition to the Jews, but they're in opposition to the gospel. They're in in opposition to the people that preach it, and they're in opposition to the people that pervert it. And I thought, you know, really and truly, things haven't changed much. The gospel of Luke begins as a resistance to Jesus' actions and teaching, 
And what Paul does theologically in the book of Romans, Luke does historically in the book of Acts. So the book of Acts is actually a historical book about what happens when people go from a non-believer to a believer. When people go from a doubter to a disciple and to a disciple maker. The sixth thing um, about the book of Acts is it allows us some historical background, but it also teaches us how the churches started to be communicated with. The church at Thessalonica, at Ephesus, at Philippi. And Luke provides for us in all of this the background of all of the difficulties that the churches started experiencing. And so when I look at what we're experiencing, I'm not talking about just the American church, but I'm talking about the church in the world, what we're experiencing. If we'll look at the book of Acts, we'll see history has repeated itself. There are people perverting it and people opposing it. And the uh, eighth reason that this book is so important is, oh, did I forget the seventh? Okay, the seventh is that the gospel is our preaching model. If you, anybody in here wants to preach or anybody looking, you know, uh, on live stream and says, well, I'd really like to be a preacher, but I don't know how to preach the gospel. The book of Acts shows you literally how to preach and how to teach and how to share the gospel around the world. The apostles learn from Acts how it's done. The eighth reason the book of Acts is important is because we begin to see the power of God at work in the church. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, talk about God working through Jesus Christ. You think about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's all about God working through Jesus. The book of Acts is God working by the Holy Spirit through you and I, through the church. It changes. It's the beginning of the age of the spirit. A small, fearful, unpromising group of men and women become a revolutionary force and are transformed by the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts because it's no longer just a book of what Christ did. It's a book of what's possible for you and I to do. It's a book of what's possible when somebody believes in the power and presence of Jesus Christ. So the ninth reason the book is so important is it's the fulfillment of what the Lord promised. The Lord promised his disciples that when he went away, he would send the Holy Spirit and he kept his word in the book of Acts. During his earthly ministry, Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit. Near the time of his death, he talks more about the Spirit. After his resurrection, he commands his disciples, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples of all nations. But it's not until after they're endued with power that they become that powerful presence on the earth. And so one of the big words that I see in the book of Acts is wait, 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 wait. And nobody likes to wait. And a lot of times I think we get ahead of God, and we're going to find later on here, if you remember, um, they had to replace Judas. Judas was one of the 12 disciples. And the disciples knew that there were these 12 gates, and on those 12 gates there were going to be 12 apostles. Well, now they know there's only 11. And nowhere does Jesus tell them, go pick another one. But yet, when the 120 go into the upper room, they have a discussion, and they decide on their own that they're going to make Matthias Judas's replacement. Interesting, you never hear anything about Matthias. So in Acts, we can see that when we don't wait on God and we do things by ourselves, it's not always a lasting work. 
that we can do things which seem to be good, that seem to be working. We can be in agreement with 120 other people thinking the same thing. But God never said, I want you to pick this one. And God picked all the rest of them. And, and it's interesting. I don't know whose name will be on that 12th one, do you? It doesn't really say. So I, it, I think it's just a very interesting book. So 10th reason, the book of Acts, is a forceful defense of apostles, um, Paul's apostleship. It gives three accounts of Paul's conversion. But it also says God appointed him as an apostle. And in spite of his actions, in spite of his resistance, in spite of everything that he did wrong, God said he's the man. And so from the book of Acts, I think it's really interesting. You and I can see that, you know what? If God chooses you, God chooses you. And if God asks you to do something, it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you did, what you did right, what you did wrong. It is a sovereign act of God. All right? The 11th reason that the book of Acts is important is because it describes the purpose of God to save the Gentiles through Israel, but in a way no one expected. It's a book of surprises. It's not through the obedience of Israel that the Gentiles received the gospel, but actually it was through their disobedience. And you always think, wow, you know, like we got to obey God for everything to go right. No, we don't have to obey God for everything to go right. It'd be better for us to obey. But you know what? God's going to do what's right anyway. God is sovereign. And we really see this in the book of Acts. The book gives us an incredible account of God achieved the beginnings of the worldwide religion rather than a small Jewish sect by the opposition of the Jews, by the persecution of saints, And in spite of the actions and examples of the church. It's an account of the sovereignty and power of God using every man's sin to still get what he wants done accomplished. I mean, that's a place to say amen. Have you ever done something wrong? Well, God didn't say it's over for you. I mean, I've done things wrong and yet God still has me doing this. God still has people running the camera. God still has people doing all these things and not all of us are perfect, but God's perfect. And God in his love is saying, you know what? In this book of Acts, I'm telling you, when you become a Christian, you get on a battleground and the devil comes after you. Every evangelical Christian Acts is unfortunately a battleground book for Christians. That's what it is. All right, so I I told you a little bit about the replacement of Judas. And Luke chose to take up the greatest part of this chapter with an account of selecting this one apostle. The mystery is that as important as this incident seems, Matthias is never specifically mentioned again. And it's during a 10-day test period because Luke recorded that there were 10-day period of the disciples waiting. And what's the number 10 mean? test. Ten virgins, ten plagues, ten toes. Just look up all the tens in the Bible. It will blow your mind. Every single time you see ten, it was a test. And so they're waiting, but in this incident, which precedes Pentecost and precedes the coming of the Holy Spirit, it's really important because they were told just to wait. They were not told to make any decisions, but yet they start making decisions. And the reason he didn't want them to make decisions is they didn't have the Holy Spirit. See, 
We can know a lot of head knowledge, but head knowledge is not necessarily God knowledge. Because we're fallen. We don't know what God knows. We know in part. We see in part. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you can see beyond the veil. You can see beyond people's flesh. You can see beyond the average normal things that are occurring during the day and see what God wants you to see. And so Luke, he starts off, both Luke 1 and 2, he covers the time period of 33 years. If you put the math together, you'll know that's about the time Jesus lived. So Luke's gospel began with the birth of Jesus and the birth of John, his predecessor, and it gives some details about both. It gives only one incidence of the childhood of Jesus, and then the major portion of the gospel pertains to the three years of Jesus' public ministry. The gospel of Luke ends with the resurrection of Jesus and the anticipation of the coming of the Holy Spirit. So it's actually a transitional book. Luke's gospel covers a period of time less than 40 years that dealt with a life between Jesus's birth and Jesus's resurrection. Then he acts comes in exactly where Luke left off. The first 11 verses and mind you now everything makes makes sense. 11 means what? Last lap. So the first 11 verses of Acts 1 deals primarily with the 40-day period where Jesus was risen from the dead but had not yet ascended to the Father. In other words, Jesus' last act. Isn't that interesting? Then in verse 12, 12 is the number of government, 12 through 26 are the only inspired account of the 10-day period between Jesus' ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit. There's 10 days there. The actions taken by the disciples occurred during the point in time, much like the 400-year period just prior to the Messiah's coming. Jesus was now physically absent But the Holy Spirit wasn't here yet. You talk about testing mankind. Ten days with no Jesus on this earth and ten days with no Holy Spirit. The devil must have been wrecking havoc. Think about it. And it was during this period of time that Jesus told his disciples, wait. They spent most of their time at the temple in the upper room praying, maybe discussing scriptures. But the one event that Luke chose to record for us was the selection of that twelfth apostle. The book of Acts is clearly a sequel, as I said, like a second volume to the book of Luke. I told you it's the same uh, author that written to the same recipient, Theophilus. And the content of the first volume pertained to the deeds and doctrines of the Lord. But now it starts into ordering the apostles, giving them their mission, giving them their assignment, giving us our assignment. The orders are given, and Luke says, by the Holy Spirit. In other words, I can see in the book of Acts, they have this 10-day period where they're supposed to be waiting, not doing anything, and then they get their marching orders, and right before they get their marching orders, they get empowered by the Holy Spirit. So I hear the Lord saying this, church, don't do anything until you hear from the Holy Spirit. Church, don't do anything. It's a test. You're going to feel pressured. You're going to feel like you need to do something. You're going to feel like you need to make a decision about something. Wait. That's very, very important. The purpose then of Acts is to provide an account of that which Jesus continued to do through the church, but by the means of the Holy Spirit. Which Jesus began to do and teach, the Holy Spirit would continue to do and teach, but this time he was going to do it through the church instead of through himself and his disciples. So now that takes us up to, uh, believe it or not, only verse 3. All right, in verse 3 I'm going to read, it says, To those... 
To these he also presented himself alive after his sufferings by many convicting proofs, appearing to them over a period of forty days, and speaking the things concerning the kingdom of God. And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait. Circle that in your Bible. Wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard from me, the John the Baptist baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 3 tells us something very clearly, which is of really great importance. Jesus set aside once and for all the doubts of the disciples concerning his resurrection. In the Gospel of Luke, the disciples are really doubtful, but now their doubt's coming to an end. In Mark's Gospel, it tells us that they're full of unbelief. Look at Mark sixteen fourteen. It says, Later Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating, and he rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he'd risen. Now, I don't know about you, but obviously seeing Christ risen from the dead is not enough to get rid of our unbelief. Evidently, Having the Holy Spirit is more important than seeing Jesus. Now that blows my mind. That rattles my cage. But just seeing Jesus didn't cause them to get rid of their unbelief and their doubting and their unfaithfulness. But being having the Holy Spirit on the inside of them, something that they couldn't see, was able to transform them from the inside out. That's why Christianity is so important. It's not that we just believe that there is a Jesus and that he was born, that he suffered, that he died, and that he rose again, but that he lives on the inside of us. He talks to us. He shows us things. He comforts us. That's why he's called the comforter. All right? So here in Acts, Luke tells us the reason that disciples could be entirely convinced of the resurrection. It's not that Jesus rebuked them for their unbelief, but that he presented himself to them alive on various occasions over a period of 40 days. The evidence was irrefutable, they, but they were not convinced. But once they were, never again does the issue of the resurrection arise with them. From this point on, they're called the witnesses of his resurrection. From that point on, we get the Holy Ghost, we become greater witnesses. Not a witness of just what he did for us, but a witness of what he can do for others. Amen. Verse 3 also informs us that the teaching of the Lord during those 40 years, he uses the phrase, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Jesus started his ministry by announcing the kingdom of God has come. He says it in Mark. He says it in Matthew. Throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus spoke of the kingdom of God and found it necessary to continually correct the misconceptions of the Israelites and even his own disciples. But after his resurrection, Jesus spoke of the kingdom. And this time, it was in the future, but it was not distance. It was like immediate. He was teaching them the things they needed to know pertaining to their near future and their ministries. Everybody say, my ministry. My future. Yeah. See, the kingdom of God must have included the ministry and message of the apostles that it was going to start when they got the Holy Ghost. It was going to start when they got the Holy Ghost. That's why it's so important at this church we say we, we get them saved, and when we get them saved, we what? Get them filled with the Holy Ghost. Get them water baptized and get them filled with the Holy Ghost. The problem was that the baptism they thought was going to be like John's. Well, we've already been water baptized. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. When I baptize you, it's not going to be like John. I'm going to baptize you in the spirit. Indeed, it was a contrast with John 
Jesus' teaching. And John told his audiences that while he was baptizing them with water, Jesus was going to baptize them with the Holy Ghost and fire. This was the promise of the Father. And yet they were, comm- they were commanded, wait on it. And they didn't do it. They just didn't. Now I'm in verse 6. And so when they had come together, because this is disciples are starting to question now, and Jesus is going to give them a response. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it time that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to him, it's not for you to know the times or the epochs, which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. And after he'd said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently in the sky while he was departing, two men in white clothing stood beside him, and they said to them, Men, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking in the sky? This Jesus, who's been taking up from you unto heaven, will come in just the same way as you watched him go up into heaven. And what did he do in the, in the upper room? He descended upon them. He, he lifted up, and they said, the same way that you see him go is the same way you're going to see him come back. He descended upon them, and he promised what? He'd come in fire, and they said tongues of fire showed up on them. So one of the things that Jesus must not have spoken about was the timing the disciples found it necessary. When, 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 when? And I thought, boy, is that the way we are today? When, 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 when? When am I going to find my husband? When am I going to find my job? When am I going to get to preach? When am I going to get to travel the world? When am I going to get to get married? When am I going to get... When, 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 right? And I thought, man, it's almost Christmas. And it, the disciples were kind of like kids. When's Santa Claus coming? <laughs> I mean, think about it. When's Jesus coming? When's he going to do this for us? When's he going to do that for us? And, and when are we going to have what we want? And in reality, it wasn't what Jesus wanted. They wanted power and prestige and position. Jesus said, it's not about you having power and you having position and you having prestige. What it's about is you having the same goals and the same um, desires that I have. So Acts fills us in on what those desires are. So what was within their realm of responsibility was to proclaim the good news of the gospel to all nations. And so he reiterated the Great Commission. He said it's not so much as a command, but it's a prophecy that's going to come. Now he says, go ye. Everybody says, that's a command. Yes, it is. But he said, here's the prophetic word. This gospel will be preached around the world before the end comes. So what he was saying is, prophetically, this is going to happen whether you obey it or not. In other words, I'll find somebody else to do it, but it's going to happen. I'm choosing you to do it. And you know, that command is still to us today. He wants us to do it. But let me tell you something. He's going to get it done. All right? So Acts is the historical account of how, in the wisdom of God, This is going to be accomplished in spite of the disciples, in spite of us, and as well as because of them. So it's often noted, and rightly so, that Acts is a geographical outline of the development of preaching the gospel and how it grows from one community to another, to another, to another. In other words, Acts is like a front door that opens up and says, okay, now that you've waited and now that you've got the power of the Holy Ghost, here's the door and I'm opening the world to you. And I believe in the church right now that when we get the Holy Ghost, God opens the door for us. 
That's, that's the beginning of your ministry. You, you want to do something for God? Get filled with the Holy Ghost and power. And if you feel like you're empty, get filled again. All right? And my car will take me from Morgantown to Fairmont only a few times, and i got to stop the gas station. And i got to fill it up again. And I think when we pour out, pour out, pour out, sometimes we get empty and we get wore out. And we need to get filled back up, filled back up, filled back up. Amen? How many of you eat more than once a week? All right? Why? Because that energy is gone. And so when we read the Bible, especially this book of Acts, we get filled up again. We get powered up again. That's why this, this whole month is awakening the power of God, awakening the power of God. Whew, I feel that right now, awakening the power of God on the inside of us because the Holy Spirit's going to come on disciples. It's going to come on the, the ones that are disciplined, empowering them to be witnesses, not just of the resurrection of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but around the world. I want to tell everybody, get your passports ready. Amen? Get yourself ready. Get your car ready. You know, get yourself in working order. Make it, make it so that you can leave your house. If there's something that's tied to your house right now that you can't go for four hours and go witness on the streets or um, go like Darlene does to the soup thing or, you know, go different places to do something, ask God what's wrong. Because the disciples just left their boats. They left everything. What? To follow Jesus. You know, the more that I fly, the more that I have to go places, I realize it's the less I take. I become such a lighter packer. Can I tell you, the more you allow God to use you, it's the same way, the less you need. When I was young, I used to think I needed everything. When I'm old, people say, what do you want? And I say, I have everything. I don't need a thing. You know what I'm talking about, Darlene? I can't even think of what I want for Christmas. Because God's so good, I have everything. When I think about what I want for Christmas, I think about I want to reach China. I want, I want those antennas to work. I want to reach the people that don't know Jesus yet. Because if they know Jesus, then they can have everything they want. Because he's their Jehovah Jireh. He's their provider. Amen? We learn this from the book of Acts. And so now I'm up to uh, chapter 12. And it says, They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is in Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These are all, with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And at the same time, Peter stood up among the brethren, a gathering of about 120, that's how we know those in their upper room, and said, Brethren, Excuse me. The scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and received the portion in this ministry. Now, this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle of the field, and his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem, so that in their own language, that field was called Hak. Goldama, or I like this one, field of blood. For it was written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead be made desolate and no man dwell in it, and his office let another man take. It's therefore necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these should become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they put forward two men, Joseph, called Bar- Barnabas or Justice, I like that one, 
and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, who knowest the hearts of all men, show one of the two thou hast chosen to accompany, to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go into his own place. And they drew lots for them. And the lot fell to Matthias. That's like pulling straws. And he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Now, that's a very general description of what went on because we don't get a lot of details. But during that 10-day waiting period, verses 10, 12 through 14, when they went to Jerusalem and commanded to go up into that upper room, these men who had not believed in Jesus during his lifetime had now come to faith. They haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit yet, but they came to faith to believe. And because they believe, they're trying to make things happen. They're not doing what they're told. They're trying to make things happen. That's why I say this book of Acts is very prophetic because people are still doing this. And so it was in this context that they choose this 12 apostles. And I'm going to give you just a couple uh, factors in favor. And then I'm going to give you a couple that were not in favor. All right. So the action is taken by the apostles whom Peter's the leader. Well, first of all, who made Peter the leader? That's exactly right. So the decision is one that concurred with the entire group. All 120 and agreed. Peter's the leader. The decision appears to be based on prayer, scripture. The entire group tends to believe. There's subsequent mention of the 12, which appeared to include Matthias. There's never any word of condemnation, rebuke, or criticism for the action taken. And all the above are really good reasons that the action seems to be appropriate. Let's look at the reasons it doesn't seem appropriate. The action was taken prior to Pentecost, before the Holy Ghost came, when they were told to wait. Number two, the apostles were taking action when Jesus has specifically commanded them to wait until the Holy Spirit came. They were moving ahead of Jesus. Number three, they'd all chosen all the other, Jesus had chosen all the other apostles. He commanded them not to choose a replacement for anybody. All he told him to do was wait. I think he was going to choose one himself. After I read this, I thought, wow. We can really mess things up by not waiting. By not obeying God. And by thinking we know the heart of Jesus. That we know the mind of Jesus. Jesus, think about it. He chose all the other ones. And he didn't command them, find a replacement for me for Judas. Now he told him to wait. He told him everything else. Don't you think he would have said, find a replacement for Judas if he wanted one? Okay, just saying. While there's minimal reference to the 12 later on, Matthias is never specifically referred to in the New Testament. Why is so much attention given to the choice of a man who's ignored throughout the rest of the New Testament? The contents surrounding the incident does not suggest that it was a decision prompted by the command of the Lord or a biblical or guidance of the Holy Spirit. It seems the apostles were, along with the rest, acting on their own, apart from any clear command. The immediate context, the disciples seemed preoccupied, and Jesus had to turn their attention towards the things other than what they had in mind. They, they stood there looking up to Jesus, and angels had to come say, quit staring up at the sky, go wait where he told you to wait. I mean, think about it. The angels had to spur the group on rather than to stand there on the mount looking into the sky. They immediately immediately proceeded to leave while they were following his commands to go and wait, but yet they didn't. 
The sixth thing was the motivation of the apostles could seem suspect when you consider in the light of their past thinking and actions. You recall from the gospel accounts that the disciples were eager for the kingdom to come, but from motivation of self-interest and for their position, their power, and their prestige, they started getting in competitions with each other. So when the urgency of picking the 12th came, it suggested that they felt like the kingdom wouldn't come unless there were 12 in place. So that the 12 thrones filled in order that the 12 tribes could be the judges. So they had their own interest at heart. Well, if we don't have 12, we're not going to get to do this. Do you ever feel like, you know, you have to make something happen? Because if you don't make something happen, nothing's going to happen. If you don't make a decision, there's not going to be a decision. So you're going to be left out. You better hurry up. I always say, Satan drives, Jesus leads. They were driven to fill that position. While Peter's interpretation of the Old Testament scriptures to which he referred may have been sound, the inferences he drew from them are possibly more suspect. Jesus linked the Old Testament prophecy to his betrayal by Judas. And then it goes all the way through, and Jesus never says, Oh, this is going to be my replacement. This is who I want. This is what I want you to do. All he says is, wait. So I just presented you with the pros and cons of the legitimacy of the selection of the 12 by 120 and the disciples. And so I was thinking that'd be a good question to ask ourselves, who was right and who was wrong? Because that's what we normally do, right? Luke never chose to pronounce rightness or wrongness. Luke didn't do it. He didn't say who was right and who was wrong. He just allows you to figure it out on your own. And seriously, since Matthias isn't mentioned anymore, I would say wrong move. What would you think? When he says wait and they didn't, what would you say? Wrong move. When they decided for themselves and drew lots, I mean, like he didn't even light up guys. Jesus could do anything he wanted, right? I mean, Matthias could have glowed, right? A dove could have came down from heaven, landed on Matthias, and said, this is the 12th one. I mean, I'm joking, but you know what I mean. So in the book of Acts, it underscores any truth. It is that of the sovereignty of God who works all things in accordance to his will, whether or not men believe him or not, whether or not men obey or not. Jesus is sovereign. Much of the spirit of God is accomplished in the book of Acts in spite of men not with the works of men. The Gentiles will hear the gospel. Many will come to faith on the count of the Jews, not because of their faith and obedience, but ultimately because of their stubbornness. Isn't that crazy? God uses opposition. God uses stubbornness. God uses mistakes. And we think we've got to be perfect. I don't even want to come to church because I'm not perfect. Some people say that. Well, I'm still drinking. I'm still smoking. I'm still cussing. I'm still lying. I'm still fornicating. I can't go to church. Well, you know what? God catches fish and then he cleans them. We just want you to come. Amen? When God gets you here, then he'll clean you up. Amen? So it was the rejection of the Messiah by Israel that made the preaching of Christ to the Gentiles possible. Not the acceptance. I believe the account of the selection of Matthias is a key to the message of the entire work. The message that God was sovereign in his work through his spirit to accomplish his will in ways that men will never be able to understand which they would not believe even if they were told. In this way, God receives the glory and not men. 
And this is exactly what Romans says, and, and we'll close with this. It says, for just as you once were disobedient to God, and I'm reading from Romans 11.30, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience. So these also now have been disobedient in order that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in disobedience that he might show mercy to all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You can come on up, Joshua. God often sets aside plans and purposes of men because they seldom, if ever, come up with the wisdom of God by themselves. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the power of God. The book of Acts is not the account of men that were so transformed that the growth of the church was inevitable. They were so perfect. The book of Acts is an account of the working of a sovereign God through the Spirit by the means of men and in spite of men to accomplish that which men could have never conceived or never imagined. Can I tell you, your best thought, my best thought, is not nearly as good as God's best thought. Like if there's one thing that I've learned, just reading the book, of the first chapter of Acts is, I don't want to know what I think. I want to know what God thinks. I don't care what I want to do. I want to know what God wants to do. Amen. While we do not always know at the moment whether God is in what we're doing, the really important thing is whether or not we're in what God's doing. Can I shake that bush again? While we don't always know at the moment whether God is in what we're doing, the really important thing is knowing whether or not we are in what God's doing. See, I want God to get in and do what I want him to do, but God really wants me to get in and do what he wants me to do. And that takes trust, and the only way that we trust is hearing more and more about how much he loves us, how much he gave for us, how much he's done for us. When you really get down on the inside of you that this God loves you so much, you know what you'll say? Not my will, but thy will be done. Not my way, God, but your way. Your, your way is so much higher than my ways. The book of Acts has much more to say about men getting in step with God's plan rather than God getting in step with theirs. And I was thinking about revival and how God really wants revival to come. But I believe when God talks to us about revival, what he's going to say is, I'm going to bring it to you like I brought it to Nivea. It's not because Nivea was the greatest. It was because God was the greatest. And so if we just get in our mind that, you know what? The great commission, Lord, is going to happen. Not because we're so great, but because you're so great. The gospel is going to be preached around the world. And it's not going to be by our plans. It's not going to be by us voting, by us trying to uh, think up a good thing, but by us just doing what you ask us to do. And if that means just waiting on you to tell us what to do, we're willing to do that. Speak to us, Lord. Speak to us, Lord. You know, when I was young, I used to say, give me my way, God. 
But now when I'm old, I say, God, don't give me what I want. Give me what you want me to have. Don't let me do what I want. Lead me to do what you want. God, help us to be like the disciples in that we become bold, but help us from being presumptuous that we think we know better than you. And when you say wait, we wait. We don't vote and try to fix things. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. There are just a few chapters in the book of Acts. Jimmy will be here uh, Wednesday night, Pastor James. Uh, He'll be talking to you probably from Acts chapter 2, and he'll be with you Sunday morning. He'll be back. Praise the Lord. He's feeling so much better. Um, Many people have been fighting for their health, but everyone is doing well. Uh, Please remember uh, Pauline tonight was the first viewing of her husband, um, Frank, and tomorrow is the funeral for Frank. And then on, um, see, Friday and Saturday, Apostle Joe and I will be in Latrobe with Pastor Sean and Colette at their Outnumbered Conference. If you guys want to come down for that on Saturday, it starts, I think, 10 in the morning on Saturday. It'll have an evening break, and then there'll Bill Yaunt's preaching that night. And then uh, Sunday, we'll leave for Texas, and we'll be there with iCal for a week, and then we'll be back with you. So, Father, I thank you that in our absence, they are well taken care of. I thank you, Lord, that this church works like Shimano gears. That's the prophetic word that we had. (laughs) Yes, Lord. And I thank you that unusual miracles will happen here. Even while we're gone, things are going to be set up, situations and scenarios, unusual miracles. I thank you. People will be healed. People will be delivered. The church is going to grow. Everything happens, God, just the way you want it to happen. We believe it and we receive it. That settles it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you as you go tonight.